Welcome to the Develop Yourself podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by developing yourself, developing your skills, your network, your habits, and more. Today is all about indie hacking. So in addition to searching for a job, if I were you and I had just graduated from a coding bootcamp or learned to code, I'd invest all my free time into building a real revenue generating project for the purpose of attracting potential employers. A term for this is indie hacking, and we're going to be talking all about it in this episode. All right, let's talk about this. What I would do if I had just graduated a coding bootcamp. Essentially, this is gonna be a primer for the steps that I suggest you take if you just graduated a coding bootcamp. Now, I thought of this topic idea because I've been pretty active on LinkedIn lately, which means I've been exposed to dozens and dozens of coding bootcamp grads all across the country from different bootcamps. And the, the problem I'm seeing, and honestly, it's been a little bit discouraging, is that everyone is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Now, I, I will admit that right now, this time of the year, November is, is pretty hard for the job search. I've been pleasantly surprised by our graduates landing jobs very quickly this time of the year. We just had a cohort finish up recently. That being said, most of what's going on online that I'm seeing is, is really not the way to set yourself apart. So the goal, obviously, whenever you graduate at Coding Bootcamp for 99% of people is to get a job as a software engineer, right? Because then you get to be at a place where you can learn and grow and evolve and get paid. And, and honestly, if you've got a year of experience, you can pretty much just write your own checks. Um, most companies will at least give you a shot. They'll, they'll see that you have experience. Finding your next job is not going to be difficult. So if your first employer is not willing to work with you or give you a raise, or provide the mentorship that you need. Um, unfortunately, the the for the company, at least, you have the advantage and you can easily go somewhere else. Now, I don't suggest that. Hopefully, you find a company right off the bat where you can you know really dig in and be there for a while. That being said, this is your task, right? You graduated boot camp. You're trying to find a job, and there are really two sides to this task, right? So, whenever you graduated boot camp, there are really two main things that you're thinking of. One of these is the actual job search, right? How are you actually applying to places, networking, that kind of thing. And we went over the job search in detail in episode eight. Uh, the title of that podcast was land your first coding job. And again, it was is a pretty counterintuitive method that we walk through to landing a job in the kind of the gist of it, if you haven't listened to that episode is you need to make a connection with a real person at all costs. You need to get your mindset right. You need to have confidence that you are a software engineer. If someone doesn't email you back, you need to email them over and over and over again until you get a response. You Just do some audacious stuff because in the end, you're probably gonna be almost 0% successful if you just cold apply because your resume doesn't say you're a software engineer. I mean, it says you've gone through a boot camp, but honestly, no one cares that you've gone through a boot camp it doesn't matter. The, the the proof is in the pudding of can you actually code. So definitely check out that episode. That is 50% of what you need to be doing whenever you graduate a coding bootcamp to look for a job. But the other side of this is you need to actually be working on your skills. Now, everyone knows that. And I think we see a lot of people online that have graduated from coding bootcamps doing some things like building a portfolio project or you know, learning a new language or picking up a new database. 
um, or, or doing some uh, you know stuff on like Leak Code or Hacker Ranker or, or you know just practicing problem solving or or reading cracking the coding interview. Um, I think that's what it's called. And I think all of those things are great. But in this episode, what I want to suggest is an entirely new paradigm to this part of the job search, to actually working on your coding skills. Instead of building a dummy app or working on projects that support your job search, why don't you actually start building something that's real? So what I'm suggesting here is that all the time you spend working on your coding chops as you're preparing for these job interviews and to hopefully even get an interview, I'm suggesting that you actually try to build a real project. Perhaps you even try and get this project to a a place where it actually generates real revenue. So this episode is going to have two main parts. The, The first here is answering the question, why should you do this? Why should a majority of your time spent during this job search process, post-coding bootcamp life, you know, evenings, after hours, early mornings, weekends, whatever it is, why should it be spent building a real project as opposed to, you know, doing another to-do list app on some tutorial? So that's the first thing we're gonna talk through. Next, we're gonna walk through a, a step-by-step guide for how to actually do this. What should you do to get the side project started? And actually do it in such a way that it creates some traction, it creates some buzz, right? This is going to be an undertaking that works in tandem with your job search process. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but essentially this project will help increase the exposure you have to other companies. And whenever you actually do get those interviews, wow, how great is it going to be to actually show them a real project that you've built? So. Before we get started, I wanted to read a post I recently posted on LinkedIn, which really fueled this idea. And and here it is. It says that landing a job as a software engineer doesn't make you a software engineer. Building software makes you a software engineer. And for that, you don't need anyone's permission. So before I get started, I just want to say that there are a thousand things about this process that are out of your control, right? Whenever you apply for a job, when you send an email to somebody, whatever it is, you don't control whether or not they actually get back to you. You don't control what someone offers you. If they're willing to give you a chance, you have no control over any of that. And if you let all of those rejection scenarios define you, then you'll never work as a software engineer and you'll never believe that you're a software engineer. But those are lies, right? Because the truth is you are a software engineer. If you can build software and if you do build software, that's what makes you a software engineer. Like I said in episode eight, every time you write a line of code, you are casting a vote for yourself as this new identity of software engineer. Then every time you get rejected or get a rejection email or or don't get a follow-up or something negative happens, which honestly in this process happens a lot, it's going to be a vote in the other direction, right? For you, it's going to be a vote toward this identity of imposter, imposter, this person isn't actually a software engineer. So that's why a huge part of what I'm talking about isn't even the practical outcome of what it means to build a real project. But the the real secret sauce here is that every time you write a line of code for something that's real and valuable, you are casting a vote for yourself as software engineer and you need more votes toward this identity than you do toward the identity of imposture, which again, like I said, the the rejections will feel like a vote for imposture, but that's not who you are. So that being said, we're going to move forward now as if you're a software engineer. 
And as every good software engineer does, we're gonna commit to building software and building something really cool, that's exciting, that solves real problems, and that might even generate real revenue. So that's sort of one reason why I think it's important that you, you know, in this journey, build a real project. Um, so we're gonna get back into some more reasons why you should do this. But before we even get there, one more thing I wanted to, to talk about is IndieHackers.com. This is where the idea came from. And I need to shout out to Peter Elbaum, who is a friend and mentor uh, at Parsity. Um, he was on episode 12 and he talked about this idea of indie hacking. So he's the one who introduced me to it. And if you go to IndieHackers.com, there's a little section on the website that has uh, you know, a, a definition for indie hacker and has two parts. One says that indie hacker is a person building an online project that can generate revenue. And then two, it's a person seeking financial independence, creative freedom, and the ability to work on their own schedule. Then below that, it says it's 2021 and the future is indie. Whether it's $500 a month on the side or $10,000 a month to quit your job, it's easier than ever to draw an income from your own projects. Follow the steps below to get started. Now, again, your goal probably isn't necessarily at this moment in time, financial independence, creative freedom, ability to work on your own schedule, and it's not to generate revenue necessarily. But if you have that mindset, that's what's going to propel you toward actually building something real that you're proud of, that you show off, that creates buzz, instead of some you know dinky pretend side project. So this is sort of the framework we're following. If you go to IndieHackers.com, it's a really amazing community where it, it lists um, tons of projects people are working on. It even talks about the different revenue they're making, the ideas, processes for getting started. It, it's a great guide. So I highly suggest that when you're done listening to this podcast, you go to IndieHackers.com or heck, pause right now and go, go check it out, get lost in it. But it's essentially what we're gonna be using as, as a guide today. Okay, back to why you should do this as a way to find your first software engineering job. Okay, so I've got a list of reasons here that will hopefully convince you to do this. And I've already talked about the first one, right, which is just confidence. If you're actually building real software, like I said, every time you write a line of code, it's a vote toward this identity as software engineer. So we've already gone over that. The, the next thing I wanna talk about is that you'll actually be a real developer if you develop a real project. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Whenever you're actually building something and the end goal of building that product is revenue, right? It's way different than the end goal being to gain some technical aptitude. So if you go online for you know project ideas, a lot of them are going to be geared toward technical aptitude, which is great. You know, figure out how to build a to-do list using a new front-end framework. Super fun. Probably some kind of tutorial you need to go through before you can actually build something real, but in the real world, that's not how you write code, right? You don't go to a company, get a job, and they say, all right, today we're gonna build some cool software. Let's see how hard or difficult of code we can write or how many new things we can learn in this process. They're not paying you to create a portfolio project. They're paying you to solve a problem, which will in turn generate revenue, which will in turn pay your salary. So this is actually a known issue with a lot of coding bootcamp grads. They are used to building projects, um, spinning them up from scratch, and then just adding whatever features or widgets or designs or whatever it is they want to just for the heck of it. But whenever you build a real project, one with the goal of generating revenue, 
you have to solve a real problem. So you have to think a lot more about the customer, what their needs are. You have to figure out which features are important to build, how much time it's gonna take you to build those features, making sure that you track bugs, probably even writing automated unit tests to make sure that in the future, you don't have to come back here and rewrite some of this code. You're gonna be solving problems for a real business, your, your own business. And that's just a completely different approach to building software, but that's the approach that you're gonna have to have for the rest of your life as a software engineer. So if you can walk into an interview or show online that you've built something real and you've taken this process, the kind of process that a real software engineer would take versus a bootcamp grad, you're really going to set yourself apart. Sort of in line with that is your code's going to be better, right? And I don't suggest that you have to write perfect code. Um, I, I've worked for some startups before that started off with two guys in a coffee shop you know, in the evenings, hacking together some code. And then by the time they raise a few million dollars and they have a whole software engineering team, you know, we're going back and we're cleaning up their old crappy code. That's just the nature of building a startup is the code quality isn't amazing. And you are not a good developer, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the truth here. You're starting off. This is your first code, first big project. It's going to be trash in some ways, but you will treat the code in this project differently because you know that it serves a greater purpose. It's going to have to actually survive real users and not have errors, not for the sake of being combed through in an interview, but for the sake of making sure that your product actually delivers. Then in line with that, we have this idea of collaboration. If you're building a real project, you're probably gonna create some buzz around it and attract some other collaborators. And, and those folks, those other developers, other bootcamp grads, whomever it might be, are gonna help make you better by giving you real experience on collaborating on projects. So in this process, we'll definitely suggest that you find some other people to work with if you choose. And then lastly, like I said, you're going to create some buzz. If you're actually solving some problem for some given group of users, that group of users are going to be excited that you exist, that your project actually solves a problem. They'll probably share about it. You, you will create some, some automatic buzz on, on the interwebs because of this real project. Whereas if you were to build some dummy project, uh, I'm sorry, but no one but you and probably your mom is really gonna care that much. And to be honest with you, oftentimes my mom doesn't care. Um, my wife doesn't care. I would show her some really cool stuff I built early on and it would have taken me dozens of hours and she was so proud of me, but she would look at what I built and didn't have any idea of, of how hard it was. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's build something that actually solves some problems and, and not just to show off um, some cool new technique that we learned. Okay, so before we move on to how to actually do this, if you're not convinced, let me address some probable pushbacks you might have on this idea. The first one is, hasn't it all already been done before? Isn't there a ton of competition, right? So if, if you're actually thinking of a project to build that will generate revenue, why do we think you, some new coding bootcamp grad who can probably in your feeling, and maybe very true, can barely code, how can you actually solve a, a real problem and, and build a real project? Isn't there a ton of competition? Why wouldn't someone just go somewhere else? Well, first of all, the obvious point is you're not trying to win the whole entire market for whatever product it is that you're trying to build. You're trying to appeal to some small niche and just get a few real users. I mean, if you get one paying user that's not your mom, you've, you've built a real project here. So we'll get into this in a moment, but 
you know, one way to overcome this problem of competition is just to build something that's that's very, very niche. And, and so the, the thing you build doesn't have to be this massive project. I'll give you an example of something I found on IndieHackers.com. It's this project called Bruzu. And, you know, whether you, the name is, is any good or not, it seems like one of the main things that Bruzu does is it converts tweets into images. So you've probably seen this before on, um, you know, Instagram, where someone is basically posting an image of a tweet. And the issue here is, is basically on Instagram, you, you post photos, but sometimes you want to, you know, post a, a pithy saying or something that you tweeted. And so oftentimes what you'll do is you go to Canva and you'll, you know, find a template. Um, and, and Canva, if you don't know, it's basically like um, a design tool. And then you'll manually copy paste the tweet in, put a little a Twitter symbol, and it makes it look like you, you know, captured this, uh, image from, from Twitter and imported into to Instagram. Now with, with Bruiser, what it does is essentially you just paste in the URL of the tweet and it automatically generates an image for you. So before even monetizing, this is a real project that solves a real problem. Instead of you know having to go and do all manually, it does it for you automatically. Now for, for revenue, um, whoever it is that created this project, um, it has built in the ability for you to pay and do this on a large scale. So I'm guessing a situation in which you'd want to use this is if you had an app that pulled in a bunch of tweets and tried to generate a bunch of images or a website that was showing a bunch of images of tweets. For an example, you could pay, I think the pricing here is like $20 a month for a thousand API calls. Um, and by the way, if you don't pay for it, you get this little watermark on your images. But all that to say, you know, the, the creator of this project is probably not going to be able to take this on as a full-time gig, but they have built something real that's actually useful to some group of people. And on IndieHackers.com, it says that they are currently generating a $130 a month in revenue, which isn't really anything to write home about. But now on their resume, they have a real company with real experience, a real logo that actually generates revenue. Um, and, and wow, you know, now whenever you apply for a job and ask for real experience, you have real experience, right? Again, coming back to what I said before, you don't need someone to pay you as a W2 software engineer to be a software engineer. You just have to write software. So does this count as experience? 100%. It's much better experience than a lot of developers get at any job because you are having to translate real problems into a real solution. Okay, but we were talking about competition here and, and that was the pushback you were giving me on why you don't wanna do this. So one of them is niche, just build something so niche, so small, so directly solving a simple problem that, I mean, there just may not be anything else out there. But even if there is competition, if there are other options out there, maybe even options that are better than the options that we could or solutions that we could build, why are we conditioned to believe that if there's competition, it means that that space has already been taken up? And I think it's because we've watched too much Shark Tank where someone will come into the room to, to Shark Tank and they'll think of an idea and the, and the investors basically be like, hey, um, there's nothing proprietary here or someone else is already doing it or what keeps someone from ripping you off? And they're right, you know, you wouldn't want to invest $100,000 into something that's not going to return back a million dollars, for example. So in these scenarios, you want a huge portion of the market. You want to be the leader. 
But second, third, fourth, or, or fifth place, um, or 20th place in some scenarios, depending on the market and the product, is not a bad place to be. It's just not a, a very, you know, quote, sexy or investable place to be. I mean, I'll be transparent here and, and talk about my own story, which is I own a coding boot camp. Do you know how many coding boot camps there are in the world or how many other people have started them? But I'm not trying to start the biggest, baddest, most profitable coding bootcamp. I'm trying to solve a really specific problem, which is a lot of these coding bootcamps aren't very accessible. You have to quit your job um, and, and basically agree to this crazy ISA and, and the risks is high and there's no there's no proof of return on investment. And so I'm, I'm solving a very niche problem in what's honestly a pretty crowded space these days, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not worried, I'm not competing with other boot camps. I'm competing with the problem, which is there are not enough software engineers in the world. And there are a whole lot of people who want to become software engineers. So as long as the problem exists, there can be a, um, a plurality of solutions. And those solutions, the plurality of solutions actually helps you. So if there is something else that's already been done before, then you can come in and learn from all their mistakes and, and do it better. You know, that's essentially what I've done is I've learned from the boot camps that have offered ISAs or job guarantees or, or high tuitions and have learned from the mistakes that they've made um, and, and really have built something that's, that's a lot different. So you can do the same thing too. So if you're, if you're worried about competition, you don't need to be. And then the other big pushback that I would probably get from you on, hey, I can't build a real project like, like this that could potentially generate revenue is that you're not good enough of a, a software engineer to actually do this. And to be honest, you might be right. You may not be that good. I don't know what program you graduated from or, or what you can do. At, at the very least, you do need to be able to build a full stack application from scratch. Um, but I will say this, the best way to learn how to do this is by doing it. I mean, just as I hope you learned in your bootcamp, you're not gonna be able to study to become a software engineer. The, the way you become a software engineer is by writing software. So the best way to learn how to build a real project is to build a real project. The first time that you have to host a live database somewhere and figure out how to make it as cheap as possible to host that database somewhere is the is how you learn how to do that. You, how else would you do that? You're not gonna read a book about it. You're, you're gonna figure it out. You might get overcharged from, you know, if you're using Mongo Atlas or something, and then suddenly you will circumvent that problem by figuring out why it happened and the, the variety of solutions. And then Heck, put that on your resume. You've just solved a, a very important problem and you learned an important part of the process of developing software. So that being said, hopefully you are convinced that besides the job search of hustling to network and get your name out there, the next best thing or the other most important thing that you should be spending your time on is building a real project. And I hope you're also excited about it, right? I mean, it's Similar to what I say in the job search process, which is you should be applying for jobs um, that you're that you're actually very excited to get, right? Because if you actually go in there and interview, your enthusiasm for the job will be genuine. And same thing with, with this. If you're actually excited about building something real, then it won't be a chore to wake up early or stay up late at night or on the weekends to be committing and, and figuring out how to solve these problems. Um, and then when you do encounter these problems, reach out to the community. And that is a great way to build a network instead of having to reach out to people via LinkedIn and do some weird awkward like, hey, can I have an inter informational interview 
Um, so you could potentially consider me for hiring at, me at your job. Say, hey, let me find somebody who knows something about databases in the community, get with them, ask them, and let that be my connection to, um, to the company they work at. Okay, we're gonna transition now to the second part of this podcast, which is how should you start? What does it look like to actually build an independent real project? So I'm actually gonna to refer to the, the list that's on IndieHackers.com. So you can follow along by going to IndieHackers.com slash start. I'm literally gonna read all of the, the steps they've got listed here, six steps for creating an Indie Hacker project. So I'm gonna go through those but I'm gonna translate them for you and kind of give some more context for, if, if I were in your situation as a coding bootcamp grad, this is how I would think about taking these steps. So here are the, the six steps. I'm gonna read through them and then walk through each of them in more detail. So step one is to commit to a goal. Step two is to find a partner. Step three, brainstorm an idea. Step four, create an MVP, which stands for minimal viable product. And step five, find your customers. And lastly, step six is, is build in public. So let's start over and start with step one here, which is commit to a goal. So for the folks on this website, it's basically getting at, hey, is your goal to create some side income or is it for you to quit your job and, and basically do indie hacking full time? And this is different for you, right? Your, your goal here is actually to attract attention and get a job. So it's gonna be a little different than what's on IndieHackers.com. So that being said, I think there is some freedom here for you to have different goals depending on where you're at. I, I don't think right off the bat, to be honest with you, that making your own living from this project is going to be a very realistic goal. I think you just have to um, have a few of these projects under your belt for a long period of time, right? But like anything else, if you're consistent at it, if you're consistently thinking of new ideas and trying them out, yeah, I think eventually you could totally make your own living off of um, this side project. But if you look at the website, there are very few people who have been able to do that um, without you know, basically starting a full-blown startup. So I do think one kind of smaller sub-goal of that could be to generate revenue. And I think if you could basically build an app that generates some revenue, even if it's $30 a month, right? If you get somebody to pay for something that you're building, that is going to basically check off all the other boxes of your code's gonna to have to work, it's gonna to have to be um, something that you, you push out to the public, it's gonna be something that, that's real. Uh, so that's a great goal. Um, another goal could be to solve an actual problem for free. So the example I gave a moment ago of you know Twitter, uh, basically grabbing the tweet and converting it to an image, you could probably do that pretty easily using the Twitter API and HTML canvas to, to draw up images. I'm just assuming that's what this person did. So ideas like that, that could be your goal to solve a very specific problem in a way that other people would use it. Um, of course, we haven't got to the point yet of actually thinking about our problems or researching ideas. We're just thinking about the goal. We're assuming that somewhere along the way, you're gonna be able to find a problem and find a solution. So. Those are probably the, the two that I would think of is revenue or solving a problem. Of course, to get revenue, you're gonna have to solve a problem. So we're sort of talking about the same thing here, but I definitely don't think you should be shooting for you know, your whole living to be based off of this yet, because in the end, this project is a stepping stone to, to getting a job. And then maybe you can come back to this life or, or keep this side project up while you're working a job and have some extra income or, or just continue to get better as a developer. 
All right, it says step two here is to find a partner. Now, by the way, I don't think these, these steps necessarily have to be sequential. You might find a partner first and then together create a goal, get an idea, or you might get an idea first and then find a partner to work with. Um, either way, you know, finding a partner I think is or should be optional. It's sometimes going to be much more difficult to find a partner here because especially on indie hackers, if you try and find a partner there, probably most of the people on the site, I could be wrong, but are gonna be a little bit more experienced than you. And you might find that frustrating, but if you wanna do this with some other bootcamp grads, that will help probably solidify it. It'll give you some accountability. Um, but again, there's a lot of problems that could come up from, from doing this with a partner. Uh, but if you need the accountability, if you think you could build more faster, then definitely go after it and, and figure out who that might be. So again, the, the best partners are probably fellow graduates who you might've connected with in your program. Um, if you if you've done a boot camp or you know just online either reddit or indiehackers.com there are some lists with 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 folks who are currently looking to do a side project and they might even already have the idea ready to to be worked on all right number three here is probably actually the hardest part which is brainstorm an idea now on the website here they have some great reading resources for you um, some articles they've listed like one is market validation strategies another one is titled start by finding an audience and to kind of define overall what they're trying to explain here it's this concept that came from a book and it didn't originate probably in this book but there's a, there's a popular book called the lean startup in which you described a better way to build startups. So a lot of times what would happen kind of in the old days is someone would think of an idea and they thought it sounded genius. And then they, they found some investors and the investors thought it was genius. And then they would spend, you know, six months, a year more building the project, the idea, and their friends all said it was a great idea. And then they would launch and they wouldn't get any customers. And what the lean startup says is that's the wrong way to do things, right? You've actually got to validate first that your idea works get customers initially and then build the solution. So basically if you could find a problem that exists, tell a bunch of people that you're gonna solve it and then uh, basically get them to, to have some buy-in, then you could actually build um, the, the the project that you wanted to build. And so I actually did this myself for Parsity, our online code school back in, um, I guess it was the end of 2020. I, I thought of an idea for what an online code school that was lower cost, less risk could look like. And, and since I had an email list already, and that's one of the things they're talking about is if you already have an audience, this, this comes, becomes way easier. I already had an email list. So I sent out an email list. I, I created a survey basically saying, hey, what are the biggest problems that you have with learning to code? Um, what's difficult about the season for you? What would be a good solution? From that, I basically built a PDF that described this new online code school um, with all the features, benefits, pricing, all of that. Of course, none of this had been built yet. And I sent it out and said, hey, if you wanna be in the first class, which is gonna be you know, capped to just 10 students, then you can put a deposit down right now. Um, so you know, it was the same as the deposit is right now, which is, it was $986. I said, you can put a deposit down right now and we'll start in six months. So basically what I got is, you know, I think I had 15 deposits or so within a few weeks. And for me, that was validation, right? Which is, I knew that this was a good idea worth doing because it actually solved some unique problems that, that folks were having. 
and, and not only that, but I had from these surveys a list of exactly what would make for a good program for the folks that had already paid me some money for it. And so from there on, I had confidence that, hey, if I don't do anything over these next few months, no marketing, no sales work, et cetera, if I just focus on building the best program I possibly can, then this is going to go well. And, and that's exactly what I did. And, and, you know, that we launched March 2021. So the same kind of idea as that is what they're suggesting here with these different various articles that you start with a problem, an, an audience, um, and you try and validate it first before you actually build something. So I think you should spend some time doing that. But since ultimately you want to build a project I think it's okay that if you kind of take some shortcuts here and um, and assume uh, that you know this is a project that's that's wanted, definitely start by building something really small. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Another step they have is building an MVP, but do some validation. Definitely check out these articles for what that might look like. But I don't think you have to you know do as much validation as is suggested here because in the end you're okay if there's another competitor that's better or that you you know you don't uh, solve everyone's problem in the world. But it is a good idea to make sure that your project is real and that it does solve some problem for somebody, even if that's, it's just you and a few people you know, on social media. All right, now that being said, the next step here, step four, is to create an MVP. Now, if you're not familiar, what an MVP stands for is minimal viable product. It's basically the least amount of work you can do to build a product that actually solves your user's problem. And the reality is a lot of times whenever you're a software engineer, you're building stuff, you're thinking about cool features you could add, but the features aren't helpful, they're a distraction, they might introduce more bugs than are necessary, but what is the minimal viable product, the least amount of, of project, the, the least amount of code that works that will actually solve their problem. So if the problem is, hey, I have a hard time turning tweets into images because I have to go to Canva and do it manually, if you are able to turn the tweet into an image, it might be an ugly image, but if you're able to turn a tweet into an image, then it solves a problem. Then from there, you can iterate on your project and solve the problem better and then get customer and, and user feedback and use that user feedback to inform the next product decisions of, well, the, the images are pixelated or it's really slow or they're not beautiful or I want some more options for how I can customize images. I want color, uh, you know, a color palette that I could upload and use or I want custom font or, or whatever it is. But if you start with building those things, you run the risk of building something that no one's gonna use and that no one wants and it might even cause a problem by introducing more bugs into your program. So again, the idea at this point in the, the this process is to be laser focused on exactly what you need to build. Now, I will also kind of input my opinions here on design. You know, I see a lot of projects that are ugly, <laughs> to be honest, from bootcamp grads because they think that since they could use, you know, box shadows or border radius, they should design their own projects and make them look you know, super beautiful or cool, but your design should have a purpose, right? It, it shouldn't be something that is overly busy. And I'd actually even encourage you to, to try and find some uh, some grads from some different design boot camps on LinkedIn, look around. I'm sure there's a bunch of them that would love to contribute some work for free to a, a real project. 
And then that's just gonna add more credibility for you if it looks like it was you know, somewhat professionally designed. And then finally, step six here is to build in public. If, if you haven't heard this term build in public before, basically the idea is everything you're working on, every decision you're making, you're doing it out loud, either on Twitter, social media, via a podcast, even you know maybe live streaming it with Twitch. And in the process, you're getting feedback. You're allowing people to speak into what you're doing. You're being transparent in the process. And really it generates an audience of, of your peers, of your followers, of you know hopefully your, your customers that can see what you're building. But I think for you, the coding bootcamp grad, or the person looking for their first software engineering job, it's a great way to to basically interact with with folks that could connect you to a job opportunity. I mean, build in public, for example, on LinkedIn and, and share what's going on. So that way when someone goes and looks at your LinkedIn profile, they see all these posts about this side project you're building, the, the problems that you're having, the way you're over, able to overcome those problems. And essentially it creates a narrative for you in your work. So yeah, that that is it. I mean, go check out indiehackers.com slash start. You can see all six of these steps. I sort of translated how I would approach these if I were you um, as a, a bootcamp grad or a new developer. But there are some really great articles referenced here on the website that you should definitely check out to learn more. That being said, this is sort of a daunting task I have just challenged you with to build a real project, perhaps one that can even generate revenue in hopes of accelerating your job search. So how would I go about this if I were you, like practically speaking? Well, one idea is to break this up into smaller sprints, right? There is a reason why in the world of agile development, real software engineers have development sprints. They can really narrow down what it is they're trying to get done over a specific period of time. And and for you, you know, perhaps one thing that you could do is just say, hey, for the next 30 days, I'm just gonna pick a 30 day period and I'm going to make some commitments. You know, maybe the commitment is an hour a day, six days a week. Maybe it's two hours a day, six days a week. Maybe it's 10 hours a week. Whatever it is, you're gonna devote to this. So set up some time that you're going to devote and commit to no matter what happens during that time, you're gonna be working on this project. Additionally, during those 30 days, I would commit to, you know, building this in public. So don't do, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitch, all of it. Pick one thing that you're going to engage on, one one platform you're going to engage with. So perhaps this is LinkedIn, right? You could say on LinkedIn, which I think is a great place to be building in public because, again, you're trying to attract those who would hire you and LinkedIn is, is all about that. So on day one, I would say, or even before day one, I'd say, okay, for the next 30 days, I'm gonna be building a project from scratch. My goal is, and then state whatever goal you had. Um, is it to solve a certain problem or to build something real or to generate some kind of revenue, basically to, to test out your own software engineering chops. Um, and then every day I would post exactly what it is you're doing, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And then over that journey, essentially, folks are gonna be able to see what it is that you're doing. Hopefully something you say will resonate with somebody, tag people in your posts, get others involved, and just build in public. Then after those 30 days, you may not have a great project, but I promise you will have learned so much more than you knew before. You've gotten so much more exposure. And if you just commit and consistently work at it, give it another 30 days, get MVP, 
um, and you will be well on your way to landing your first job as a software engineer. And then here's the best part. Worst case scenario, right? And I don't see this happening. Um, and really that it's been rare in the case of our students that it's taken students very long to find a job. But worst case scenario, you're six months out. You still don't have a software engineering job. And maybe you're working another part-time job somewhere else or another full-time job. And maybe you're doing this indie hacker thing on the side, but you're, you're sort of committing, you know, maybe it's 30 days at a time, 10 hours a week at a time, whatever it is. Six months in, you've got six months of experience as a software engineer, six months of real experience. And don't tell me that just because your project doesn't make any money that you don't have real experience. Do you know how many startups don't actually make money? Um, but yet somehow you're able to put a logo on your resume on LinkedIn and say that you've been a software engineer there. They're all able to say they've been a software engineer there. So if you're doing this, then every month that you don't get a job is another month that you're gaining real experience, which should help you get a job. So at the very least know that you are progressively getting closer and progressively increasing your chances of becoming a software engineer by committing to working on a real project while you job search. And to be honest, I can't say the same for a lot of the other methods that that folks do, right? I mean, if you apply for 100 jobs a month and then six months in, you've applied for 600 jobs, I really don't think that your momentum is growing. Your chances are growing maybe, but it's like saying for the lottery that if I buy 10 tickets, I've got a better chance of winning the lottery than if I buy one ticket. And if your goal is to make a bunch of money, then buying lottery tickets week in and week out for 10 years really isn't getting you any closer to making money because the chances of it happening are so low. So that being said, stop doing the same stuff that's not working. Stop doing what everyone else is doing and start building a real project. You are a software engineer. You can do it. It's time to get to work. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Develop Yourself podcast. To learn more about our online code school, Parsity, visit parsity.io. That's P-A-R-S-I-T-Y.io. We'll see you back here next week.